as I was sitting over there for the children's message, I thought about saying, Amen, this is the message for today. <laughs> and we didn't have a conversation before that, but this would be a longer version of that message. Thanks, Erin. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It is thought to have originated in the 1500s. Some have actually dated it relatively precisely to 1550-1560. It is a phrase that is used regularly. When we hear it or use it ourselves, it is because it makes sense to us. It is a simple expression, really. Practice makes perfect. We know it speaks to how we can get better and better the more we practice something. But a performance psychologist, and I, I never knew there was anything like that, but this is a, a true person, he, he disagrees with the expression. And he has stated candidly, we know that practice doesn't make perfect. He adds, and while we are on the subject, we might as well admit to ourselves that 100% flawlessness is impossible and that most of us don't have what it takes to be a true perfectionist anyhow. Perhaps that's refreshing, since it is something we may have thought about but have never stated it. Yes, practice is great, but practice doesn't make perfect. It had been going on for well over a thousand years. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, it was the same thing. That is some practice. It had to be done, lest there was a problem that would make their lives really miserable. The ancestors had experienced this, gone into exile and come back. Now they are under foreign occupation. They know. Because God had said over and over again that it was because of that, that it was because they were unfaithful to him, worshiping human-made false gods and sacrificing to them. Animal after animal, sacrifice after sacrifice. That was God's commandment to them. So they had to continue the sacrifices to him alone in order not to face his wrath. They felt that what happened to their ancestors by being viciously removed from their land to be exiles in other lands would be nothing compared to the calamity that could befall them if they neglected again to do exactly as God had commanded them through Moses. It was for their good. You find what the writer to the Hebrews is talking about in the book of Leviticus. We all probably have our favorite book or books of the Bible. I doubt if Leviticus is one of them. But maybe I'm wrong, and some of you really love it. You would rather read that book than other books of the Bible. There are all these things that happen there that are strange to us, and they go on and on. And that is what might make reading it completely quite challenging. Actually, there are a lot of good things in Leviticus. There are things such as making sure you provide food for the poor, 
loving your neighbor as yourself. Things such as not dealing falsely or robbing your neighbor. Things such as not perverting justice. Things such as not showing partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great and judging your neighbor fairly. It even talks about not going around as a slanderer among your people. The writer to the Hebrews clearly had a thorough grasp of everything Leviticus. Not only that, we can see him as an expert of the Old Testament. In today's terms, we might say he was an Old Testament scholar. But he was also thoroughly versed in the gospel, the essential teaching of Jesus Christ. The Christians he wrote to were also familiar with the Old Testament, but over time, things have become, have become a little fuzzy for them. They had undergone some persecution, and they lived under some fear that persecution might happen again. If you've undergone persecution before, it stands to reason that you would constantly evaluate your situation to figure out how best to make sure it didn't happen again. If there is a way you can prevent something painful from happening to you again, you would take it. It seems that was, what, that was what the Hebrews were doing. They were thinking seriously about what went wrong that led to the persecution and how best they can remedy it so it didn't happen again. They knew of God's command to sacrifice animals for all kinds of sins. So they were beginning to think that that was the key. Why not just go back to that practice, an animal sacrifice for every sin? If these animals are not being sacrificed, then their sins are not being forgiven. They were thinking that that's why they were facing the threat of persecution. So go back to the sacrifices again and again, and you will be free from the looming trouble. Now that should not be the case, since they were now Christians, believers in Jesus Christ. The writer makes it clear that the sacrifices in themselves did not take away sins. He says elsewhere that these were shadows of a reality, that reality being found in Jesus Christ. The one-time sacrifice of Jesus is enough. No other sacrifice was needed again because nothing and no one else has perfect blood that is acceptable by God as a sacrifice for sins. Once is enough. What the writer to the Hebrews is making clear has been declared by God long before through Samuel the prophet and judge. It is easy to forget. Just like when we read the Bible and only a short while later we forget what we read. But even if and when we forget God's promises to us, those promises do not go away because God is faithful. What he has said he would do by his own power and will, he has done, and nothing will take that away. His promise to forgive is forever. This comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, when King Saul had performed the sacrifice he was not qualified to do, Samuel came to him and told him that what he had done was displeasing to God. He said to him, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. 
In Hosea, God said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So even though God himself had commanded sacrifices through Moses, he did not intend for the people to look to the sacrifices themselves as what forgave their sins. It was, always has been, and will forever be the mercy of God. God himself was going to take care of sins through effective blood, the blood of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Now it took a while for this to happen, but happened, it did, because God fulfills his promises. And this promise is the greatest of all his promises to be fulfilled. You can think about all the miracles you remember in the Bible, including the ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the trembling of Mount Sinai, the miracles of Jesus feeding the thousands, his raising of some people from the dead. None of them is as great as this one, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Because this is the reason he came, to allow his blood to be shed for the forgiveness of sins, yours and mine, indeed the sins of the whole world. He came for this purpose, so that what was once only a shadow of the reality to come has now been accomplished. His blood is shed one time on Good Friday, but that one time shedding of his blood is what counts. Once is all it took, but once is enough. The writer says, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Perfect forever for you. Yes, you, dear fellow believers in Jesus Christ. It is a once-for-all sacrifice that covers any and all kinds of sin from the time of Adam to the present time through the time when Jesus Christ will finally come again as he has promised. It is comprehensive. It leaves no sin behind. There may be times when you evaluate something that a fellow Christian commits and your first thoughts are that it is such a terrible sin that God should have a hard time forgiving. It may be a gruesome murder that is shown on TV or the internet over and over again. And you see and hear the grief of the victim's family. And the thought may cross your mind that that should be an unforgivable sin. Why should someone who takes the life of another human being ever be forgiven? What about the feelings of those who are left grieving? Shouldn't they receive the satisfaction that a murderer should not have that sin forgiven even if they repent while serving a life sentence? Well, so long as they repent of that sin and believe in the one who came from heaven to die for all sins, including the sin of murder, they have that sin forgiven. It is the promise of the one whose blood covers all sin even the ones that offend us the most. Christ died for the sin of murder too, but that one-time death a long time ago, that one-time sacrifice is enough. He will not come back and repeat it once is enough. As a Christian, you know 
that if you hurt someone, a friend or a family member, you would like to be forgiven, no matter how grievous your action against that person was. It may be that the person may not be willing to forgive you even if you earnestly ask for their forgiveness. Your relationship may be irreparably damaged. But if you have sincerely repented of it, Jesus has forgiven you because his single sacrifice covers that sin too. Now we don't live at a time where we see these animal sacrifices that the Jewish Christians were still seeing at that time. We don't have that to think of going back to when we face tough times in our lives. We get to stick with Jesus. And that's his very desire for us, that we will not put our confidence in anything else in this life but in him. Now, it may have crossed your mind that if that once and for all sacrifice is enough, why do we confess our sins when we gather together as a church? Why do we even confess our sins in our private prayers? Isn't that like sacrificing animals for the forgiveness of sins over and over again, only without the animals? Is the one sacrifice really enough? It absolutely is. We confess our sins because we sin daily, even when we are not aware that we are sinning. And the one who sacrificed himself once for all is always ready, always available to hear us and to remind us that what he did 2,000 years ago is still valid and effective. The person who is the Son of God could not have failed in what he came to do. Now, if there are people here who think they have no sin, they should let me know. And I'll tell them again what we just said in our confession of sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We live in repentance. Repentance is a turning back to God after we've turned away from him. It is as if Christ's sacrifice happened today. Its effectiveness is always new, no matter how long it has been. It is fresh today, it will be fresh tomorrow, it will always be fresh, renewing us day by day. That will always be the case. We have confidence in doing good, not because doing good is what makes God look with favor upon us, but because he has had mercy on us and continues to do so. By his grace and mercy, he has established his church. The church is important for Jesus. If it is important for Jesus, it has to be important for us too. We get to receive his forgiveness for us, both individually and collectively. The writer therefore encourages his hearers not to neglect gathering together as a church. Now he's not saying that church attendance is what saves us. But what a great gift God has given to us to gather together as his people. It is not another chore we have to add to the many we have during the week. It is a special time to gather together to receive the blessings he has for us, to hear his word, which we may not always do on our own because other life things get in the way. We receive his blessings in a concrete way, in the Lord's Supper, 
for the assurance of our forgiveness as we wait in the sure and certain hope of our Lord's return when all of us together we get to eat and drink with him. We get all this because of his one-time sacrifice. Once is enough for me and for you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. We now stand and confess our common faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> 